In this industry, protecting your business starts with protecting your employees. And that's especially important when they're behind the wheel. Motor vehicle crashes are the number one cause of workplace fatalities in Texas, but there are steps you can take to keep your drivers safe. And step one is contacting Texas Mutual Insurance Company. They created the Texas Green Industry Safety Group specifically for businesses like yours. And they can help you train your drivers to buckle up, slow down, avoid distractions, and stay alert on the road. Plus, as a safety group member, you'll save an average of 12% on your workers' comp premium and have the chance to earn an extra dividend every year. If safety and savings sound good to you, get started today by talking to your agent or visiting texasmutual.com slash texasgreenindustry. Welcome to the TNLA Green Report. I'm Sarah Riggins, TNLA Director of Industry Education and Certification. Today, we are honored to have with us Courtney Ramsey with Courtney Ramsey Speaks. Courtney is a professional speaker and expert on helping business leaders with complex labor issues. She helps companies strategically and successfully build employee satisfaction, retention methods, and calibrate effective and influential communication among their teams. TNLA is really honored that Courtney will be joining us this year at the Lone Star Hort Forum in Grapevine this January to share her expertise by presenting several sessions during different segments at this year's winter event to help the Texas green industry face labor issues head on. Courtney, we are so glad to have you on this episode of The Green Report. Oh my gosh, Sarah, thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege. Yeah, so as we talked about prior to the episode and getting you lined up to speak at this year's Hort Forum, TNLA and the Texas green industry is facing some hard challenges when it comes to labor. They are trying to find a skilled workforce. And then once they hire somebody, they're having a really hard time competing with others out there to retain those employees. They're jumping ship. They're going to different places to earn higher wages or just find different flexibility within the job. And we're trying to narrow this down. And I'm sure you're seeing this across industries, right? Oh, for sure. It's it's not limited to just TNLA and all the industries that are related to everything green. It's it's related to basically every industry out there. Everyone's having that same issue because really when you think about it, I think the mindset of our workforce has changed over the mm -hmm. last five, 10 years. Yeah, I, I believe it. Well, I'm so glad that you're going to be at Hort Forum this year. On January 8th, you're presenting two sessions. The first one's Building Successful Leaders. The second one is Foundational Feedback that Builds Trust and Performance. Then we have you coming back the, the second day on January 9th for our special Emerge Pass segment. This is the first year we're offering this. It's geared specifically for CEOs and upper level management. And at that session, you are discussing the art of tough conversation, move past tension to get results. I don't know about you. I'm ready to roll up my sleeves and tackle these issues with you, Courtney. Yay. That's half the battle, Sarah. It's for real. Like you just have to kind of get your mind right and be like, okay, listen, I know this is going to be awkward. I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but the best thing we can do is face issues head on. So I love that you're already there. That's awesome. I am there and I'm ready to get our people there too. Cause sometimes having these cuff tough conversations is the last thing you want to do. But before we dive into everything, can you tell our audience why helping businesses engage in positive and healthy conversations is important to you? Why do you do Absolutely. what you do? 
I think it's something that's really important to me because like most of us, I feel like I've avoided it for the majority of my life. Mm -hmm. It has done me no favors whatsoever. Um, the older I get, the more I realize that what really is important in life and what really leads to our success, both at work and at home, is the quality and strength of our relationships, right? Yeah. And you really can't have solid quality relationships if you're too scared to have a deeper conversation. We get past that shallow niceties that we all kind of do. So a lot of times when you go deeper, sometimes you start confronting people about very different beliefs or values they might have. Mm -hmm. There's usually conflict that gets in the way. But I have found that when I'm able to work through conflict with someone, whether they start out as an acquaintance and kind of friend, if we can work through that conflict together and build that trust, our relationship gets better and stronger. And that's kind of what brings me back to wanting to help other people get good at this, because I really think it's a skill that most of us don't really have, mm -hmm. but we should have it and we could have it if we just chose to work on it. What do you think is holding back leaders today and dealing with those conflicts? Are they just too busy? Are they ignoring them flat out, brushing them under the rug? What do you think is happening? I think there's three things that are happening. Sometimes, first and foremost, there's just a fear involved. And it even goes back to what you just said when you did your introduction. We're scared of losing people because we don't have a lot of options out there of our workers and our workforce. And gosh, if we invest time and attention and training someone and are doing a decent job, sometimes we like to just ignore it because we're fearful that they're going to walk, right? We're going to do something, we're going to say something that's irreparable, that this employee does not want to put up with, if you will, and they're going to walk. And we don't, we're scared of that happening and we don't feel like our business can handle it and we can't handle that hole on our team. The other thing, though, is I don't think we know how, and I think because we don't know how, we feel like we're never, ever ready to have that conversation, so we're always too busy, or today is never a good day, or I'll do it tomorrow. I like to call that hitting snooze on things. We hit snooze on it, thinking we're going to come back to it tomorrow. Oh, no, we don't. We keep hitting snooze, and now it's three months down the line, and you're like, well, now I can't do it because that's just awkward. That was three months ago. I should have done it back then. Well, of course you should have, right? Yeah. So... So do it's you think it, it's um, across the whole management system? Is it just that one owner that needs to be setting the tone? Does he need to build his management team to step up, to rise up, to be those leaders? Like, how can you help these businesses and learning the skills they need to to not press suit, snooze? Yes. And that's, that's a great question. I think in many ways, the two things you just said are very much correct. So are our owners, first of all, doing it themselves, even though it's uncomfortable, and are they modeling the behavior and creating a psychologically safe workplace for their leaders to do the same thing, or that's expected and that kind of thing. The other thing though, is to your point, we have to teach people how to do things. And I find that even in corporate environments that have full-fledged training and development teams who give classes like this, right? Even when they have those resources, most leaders I talk to still don't know how to do this kind of thing. It's just something you're not taught. And sometimes even if you go to a class, unless you are really held accountable to practice that skill and you have a manager who's pushing you to do it and even practicing with you, people aren't comfortable doing it. Now, imagine privately owned businesses or smaller owned businesses with only one or two or three locations, more family owned businesses, they don't have those full-fledged training and development teams 
So a lot of times we have these homegrown leaders or family people who have been promoted up through the family and they really don't know how to do it. So there's a double-edged sword there for sure. So we do have a lot of family-owned businesses and they are truly amazing. It's neat to see the succession planning that's happening and people that started out very young coming to our expos and now are running the company. Um, Do you feel like companies can afford to budget for leadership training? That's a hard one because out on the surface, it can look really expensive, right? If you want to bring in someone to do a training session for your leaders, and let's just say it costs $5,000 to do that, right? That can look really expensive on the surface. But if you look at all the, the labor, like the Bureau of Labor and Statistics ideas, when people leave, a frontline employee in most cases, when they leave and walk out the door, it's going to take you about $5,000 to replace that person by the time it's all said and done. By the time you, you post the job on whatever job posting board and you pay that fee, by the time you have you take the time off of your off the floor to go through applications and call and maybe set the interview that the person no shows for to do the interview, to get them in the HR system, to get them the uniform. When you start to add all that stuff up, that's $5,000. Not to mention the time it takes to onboard them. (laughs) Right? Then that's a good point. You're going to have at least the first month or two, or maybe even three, where their productivity is not where you need it to be. And maybe you're having someone else being distracted to be their training buddy or whatever it might be. So when you think of it that way, if I can just come in or a company like me come in and do a training workshop to get things going where you keep just one person, you've broken even. And even better, if we can get you to keep several people who would have left anyway, you've actually gotten an ROI there. And then the other thing, too, I think we're, we're kind of forgetting back in the day, you would always hear that when things got tough, like financially, companies would cut marketing and they would cut training. Right. Mm-hmm. What we're now realizing, going back to people kind of jumping ship and turning, kind of being that revolving door of employees, they are expecting to be invested in in terms of their training and development. And if a company does not do that for them, if they're kind of a sink or swim company, like, well, I'm approaching a manager, but figure it out. Or even for your individual contributors, if they're not invested in in some way, a lot of times employees will leave because they don't see potential for their career there. And they don't feel like the company really cares. Yeah, I hear you. Okay, in building successful leaders that you're going to be talking about at the Hort Forum, tell me what F4 is. So fail fast and fail forward. Nice. It's like fail fast and fail forward. And I, I kind of started thinking about this philosophy more and more for me personally over the last five or so years since I've had my own business. Because I think many of us are raised with a very real sense that failure is fatal. And I blame it on grade school. Like, God forbid you fail that test, right? God forbid you come home the with the pressure of it all. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you were like, if you had parents like mine, I mean, there was a lot of pressure to make A's or at least high B's, or you certainly can't fail, right? So I think from back in the day, when we we're in school from, you know, kindergarten to high school, we get our mindset set around failure is horrible. I can't fail. Even if I'm new at something, I can't fail. Right. And a lot of times that carries over to the workplace. And we, we set up this culture where it's not okay to try new things. And we we have to be perfect from the get go, but that's just not realistic, uh, especially around leadership because very few of us were actually born leaders. 
I found that most all of us have to be trained and coached and mentored. And there's lots of trial and error to become a true leader of people. Yes. Well, and I, I think that's great from a team aspect too, when you're working with a group to have a set goal that if you're, you're going to fail at something, something's going to drop, but how do you pick yourself back up and move forward, find the solutions to reach that problem as a team and just keep, keep the ball going and keep going. Yeah. To me, it's important to just fail fast, like get it out of the way. You know, you're going to fail. So get it done. And hopefully it's a small failure because you're failing early. And then just make sure you're learning something from that failure. That's where the fail forward thing comes mm -hmm. into play. As long as you are learning from that failure and hopefully you're not going to repeat it again because you've learned, you're doing the right thing. That's Eventually great. you're going to get it. That's really great stuff. Okay, deep question. Yeah. Do you feel there's a difference between mentoring and coaching? I do, I do. So in the learning development world, those are two very different things. Mentoring is typically someone where you have a relationship with this person. Typically they have more experience than you. They're willing to share their experience. Perhaps they're willing to connect you to the right people or kind of bring up your name, you know, like in the room where it happens, mm -hmm. right? So you have mentors who are more willing to kind of share things with you and tell you advice and things like that. In most cases, when it comes to training and development, a coach is someone who is helping you realize the stuff you already know and help you get clarity around certain things. So I've worked with coaches before that aren't really giving advice. They're not telling you what to do. They're asking me very pointed questions around what I already know. They're trying to help me realize kind of a, almost like a self-awareness, mm -hmm. right? A self-discovery process. So that's one way you see coaching. The other thing you might see coaching is, is someone is like maybe on the job, they're coaching someone how to do something better. So like if we're at the cash wrap and we're ringing up a customer, I could be coaching you on how you're interacting with that person or getting your feedback on how you thought that transaction went. So I can see coaching like that, especially in the retail world. Do you feel leaders should have a combo of both or one or the other when they're managing and leading people? I think beginning and emerging leaders really do need a combination of both. So they need to be coached probably in the way, the secondary way I talked about it, where they're maybe they're being observed or they're practicing something like a skill practice or a role mm -hmm. play and someone's coaching them how to get better at that skill. And it could be a soft skill, like having a tough conversation, or it could be a harder skill, like using the cash wrap, right? Um, mentoring though, a lot of times people just need that person that's not their boss where they could go ask questions that maybe they feel make them look a little silly or just vent sometimes or ask for advice that they don't want their boss to know they're asking for advice, right? So I, I really think in an ideal world, there's a combination of both. And that can be difficult for smaller businesses because you might not have enough, you know, an abundance of people to pull from. Mm -hmm. But um, even think of, of people maybe you know in, in other industries that could be mentors for your people. So that, we always forget that our social network can be really good for stuff like this too, especially when you're a private business owner. Most definitely. Um, going back to building successful leaders and for the companies that get really serious about developing their bench of managers mm -hmm. and their leadership team, and they're on a tight budget, how do you coach <laughs> companies on how to measure success 
of what they reap from that, from building that leadership program and really honing in on that. Mm -hmm. So if I'm, if I'm keeping it real with you, that's kind of the million dollar question for training in general, because it's very hard to directly tie back an ROI or a specific result to that one training you did. So what I would say people need to look for in terms of seeing the results of that investment would be, do they see an improvement in performance in their workforce? They see an improvement in the culture and the, the overall uh, satisfaction people seem to be, right? Maybe there are some increases in retention, at least for the leaders on your team and maybe a few people for uh, your team as well. Because retail in general, I mean, I come from a retail background. I know when I used to work for retailers here on the Dallas Metroplex, it was very common to have over 100% turnover each year on our teams. So that's kind of a hard part of it. Yeah. yeah. But um, if you're looking for a true ROI, look for culture changes, look for performance changes, and look for retention changes. So it could be short-term and long-term. It could be. It could be. Mm -hmm. All right. And I would even ask a question. Like, ask your people, was that worth it? How can mm -hmm. I help you implement it? The biggest thing I see that's a challenge for training is we go to training and we get super excited to be there. I'm like, this is fantastic. I can't <laughs> wait to get home. I'm going to use it all. And then you get back home. And all those notes you took go back on your desk or in a drawer and you forget that it even happened and it does get forgotten. So if you don't use it, you are going to lose it. Very true. I always try to say, I'm going to try to implement at least one thing like right, right away. <laughs> yes. And that's, that's a great rule to have. There's, there's definitely a drop off point where if you wait, I think it's over 72 hours once mm -hmm. you get home conference like this oh what a good tip for the most part if you don't start taking action within that first 72 hours you're going to get back into your rigmarole of your daily life mm -hmm. and all that excitement is not going to be enough anymore it's going to have waned down where you're not going to be excited enough to break out of routine and implement Wow, that's so a great tip. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, Is it within crazy. 72 hours or you'll lose 72, it? <laughs> 72. And you have a great approach. Choose one thing. Don't make it a laundry list. Don't make it overwhelming. One thing. Yeah. Right. Okay. Are there any common pitfalls or challenges that companies should be aware of when embarking on initiatives to build successful leaders? Pitfalls. Uh... I think one of the biggest pitfalls is you think it has to be a huge investment, therefore you don't do it. Mm -hmm. Or you think it has to be perfect, so you don't do it because you're still planning and you're still planning mm -hmm. and you're still planning. This is a hangup that I do with my own stuff, so I know it has to happen to more people than, than just me. Mm -hmm. But think about how there's so many free resources on the internet now. Think about all the YouTube videos out there. Think about all the TED Talks that are out there. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to start really simple, all you need to do is pull in your leadership team and find a great TED talk that you can watch for the first 15 minutes and then have a 15 to 30 minute discussion following that to just pull out some things that we could do as a team better based on what we just learned. Totally free talk for the time you're paying as people, right? Yes. Yeah. And then I the like same it. thing with even developing a program. Let's say you want to develop an official program. Don't start with a year long program. I mean, you could, but you know, maybe one class every quarter. If you have mm -hmm. nothing, four classes a year is a huge dramatic improvement. 
or doing this little you know informal things like we just mm -hmm. talked about with TED Talks and webinars. So That's start small, idea. just you got to get started. And then getting that feedback from from your staff itself. And I think you could have some really dynamic conversations with them that way, some honest feedback of what they're feeling or maybe some challenges they are up against right now that could easily be solved just because yes. that started the conversation. Exactly. Because a lot of times leaders are too scared to bring things up because they're scared they're going to want stupid or that they shouldn't be a leader in the first place. Mm -hmm. So imagine all the goodness that could happen to do just what you said, giving them that safe space to bring up challenges with their peer group. Yeah. And to know that they're not on an island all by themselves. Other people have issues too. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the other session that you're going to give foundational feedback that builds trust and performance. Well, What's going to be happening during this session, Courtney? So this is a great one, and it's actually closely related to the tough conversations conversation we're going to have the next day with the leaders. It's really around giving people a structure on how to deliver feedback, especially the harder feedback to deliver, which is more that constructive criticism. Because mm -hmm. again, no one likes to do it. It's uncomfortable. You're scared of how it's going to go down. So we'll give you a formula to use so you can go back home and have an easier time giving the feedback because you'll have step-by-step -step process to go through. But we'll also talk about why it's just so important to do it in the first place, how often you should be doing it, the importance of giving balanced feedback, which is where you're recognizing the positive contributions as well as the areas of improvement. So it'll be a good session for people, especially who are just really uncomfortable doing this. So, so not just harping in on all the stuff that they're doing wrong, which is really easy to go to first thing, but also given that great, good job, well done, pat on the back yes. support as well. Yes. And for many of us, that's hard to recognize. Mm -hmm. I'm often challenged. Like, so Courtney, you're telling me I have to like, Tell someone thank you for just basically doing what we hired them to do, just doing their job. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you kind of do. Yeah, you kind of do. Because people really need that appreciation and recognition. And sometimes it's just as simple as pulling someone aside and saying something like, Sarah, I just need you to know how amazing you are because every day I know you're going to show up on time. I know you're going to get your work done. And having employees like you on my team actually helps me sleep better at night because I know I can depend on you. I mean, you can make someone's day. That just could by go a long way right them. there. Yeah. It's great. Again, that is free to you. So yeah, it's very important to do both. Really positive thank you reinforcement mm -hmm. and recognize people for specific things are doing well because you want to reinforce that behavior mm -hmm. as well as when you start to see something that's off, you got to say something. Yeah. We can't let that kind of get out of control. We have to address it in the beginning. So right now in our industry, and I'm sure you're seeing this in all the companies that you work with too, we have some generational gaps that are happening. We have those that are wonderful. They are seasoned. They have been in the industry for a really long time, over 30 years, and they're a wealth of knowledge. What they do works. They're very successful. Then we have the millennials that are in there. And then this next generation that's coming into the workforce and they're bringing in technology and ideas. And are you finding companies and leaders today are having a hard time communicating that feedback based on the age gap? What, what are you seeing out there right now? And how are, how are companies dealing with that? I think there is definitely a gap there, but I don't know that it's always as wide as we think it is. 
it's funny because when you think about it, a lot of things that we say millennials brought into the workplace or now Gen Z is bringing into the workplace, they're really things we've all always wanted our entire lives. It's just now it seems to be a bit more okay to speak up for those things you wanted. Because trust me, when I started working as a Gen Xer in the corporate world here in Dallas at Nina Marcus back in the 90s, I wanted to come in at eight and I wanted to leave at five. I wanted to take a full hour for lunch. My boss made it very clear that that was not the expectation. My boss made it clear that you got here before her. You didn't take lunch if she didn't take lunch. In fact, I had to go get her lunch half the days. And then if she wasn't leaving at five, guess what? You weren't leaving at five either. And I didn't feel like I had the power to say something back then. It was like, oh, well, I, I guess this is the way it's done. So if I want to have a job and if I want to have a career, I guess that's what has to happen. But it's different now because we have a much bigger generation in the millennials and we have a fairly decent sized generation in Gen Z and they're, they realize that their priorities are different and that life is short and we should work to live, not live to work, right? Mm -hmm. So they're speaking up more and they're leaving at five, whether you want them to or not, right? So I think there's, it's just a different expectation now that people are more apt to bring it up and act in a way that maybe we, the older Xers or boomers, didn't feel comfortable mm -hmm. doing back in the day. But when we think about it, we all wanted to. We just weren't confident enough to do it. So we're all more alike than we give ourselves credit for. I hear you. Well, and still then maintaining that expectation and voicing it to mm -hmm. their their younger staff as well and making right. sure that they understand this is, you know, we have to be in person to meet these customers and, yes. and do this. And to not assume that what you think is just completely common sense is common sense. Mm -hmm. I was talking to someone in the agritourism industry for a different conference I'm doing in a few months. And she was like laughing to herself because she's like, you know, it's, it's funny. I had to teach someone how to sweep the floor the other day. Wow. She's like, I didn't realize this was a hard skill, but this person had never had to use an actual broom. And that's what we had with the dustpan. And I actually had to physically show them how to do this and let them practice a little bit. I'm like, okay. All like, right. You can't assume, <laughs> right? You can't yeah. assume people know how to do things, especially the youngest people coming right out of college or high school. That is so true. You don't know what you don't know. You don't. And you can't assume <laughs> that just because you know, everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, now I want to hop on to our merge pass. As I mentioned, this is a new thing that we are starting at the Lone Star Hort Forum. It's geared for CEOs and upper level management. And you're going to be talking about the art of tough conversations, move past tension to get results. And I mean, with a business owner's mind in mind, um, can, can you talk a little bit about why this is important. I know you gave a TEDx speech on it, um, which was really awesome, by the way. If y'all mm -hmm. haven't had a chance to go check it out, you should. Um, but why why do you feel business owners, upper level management really needs to tackle this? Well, it kind of goes back to one thing I talked about in the very beginning, which is the stronger your relationships are, the more success you're going to have at work and at home. And for a business owner, when you think about what's going to drive loyalty for their people to stay with them longer, it's about relationships. So we have to figure out how to build those relationships, build that foundation of trust. And a lot of that comes down to the conversations you're having on a daily basis. It can't just all be shallow. It can't just all be fun. 
it, it needs to be getting to know someone on a personal level as much as you can, but also when there's a problem, you have to address that problem in a way that preserves the, the relationship and lets that person know that the whole reason you're addressing it in the first place is because you care enough to do so, right? Because it's a lot easier to ignore the problem and essentially get someone out pretty easy, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, to not to maybe not to not give them the good projects or to not give them all the hours they want because oh, oh you have to quit because you didn't get enough hours i'm so sorry right no you're not that that was your very passive aggressive way of getting someone out right mm -hmm. think about how much better it could be if our business owners understood the value of communication and relationships in their business and modeled that behavior for their employees and also set that environment up where it's safe to have those conversations, where it's expected even. Mm -hmm. It could be really powerful in driving performance and retention. I hear you. You said something in that that really hit home for me. Um, caring enough to help that person succeed pretty much as a professional. And one of the things I've been wondering, I mean, yes, trust is so important in building that, you know, manager owner to staff member relationship but do they need to become best friends with them no definitely not and there's a fine line right you need to know your employees you need to know what keeps them up at night to a certain degree but you don't want to break that line of you know we're going out and we're having dinner on friday night with our families and you know we're friends on facebook and you don't necessarily have to go to break those lines because you are their leader and there, there needs to be some line there because that's that's another way it gets awkward is if, if i'm your best friend but i'm also your boss man that it adds an extra layer of complication to really having to lead you but what i think you do have to do is build that foundation of trust to where that person knows that you have their back that you want the best for them and that like you said you care enough to have the hard conversations because if you the tables were turned if they were your boss and they had some areas that they really wanted you to improve upon Ask yourself the question, like, wouldn't you want to know? Like, wouldn't you want to know in a nice way, right? Wouldn't you want them to tell you versus either building resentment for you or being too scared or whatever it might be? Most of the time when I ask that question to people in our group when we're having these, these classes, 90%, mm -hmm. if not more, say that on a scale of one to 10, one being don't tell me, 10 being give it to me straight, I don't care if you sugarcoat it, give it to me straight, most fall in that seven to eight to nine range. But when I ask that same question, I think, well, how do you, what would you say your, your team members are at? You think they're a one or a 10? Most be like, oh, I think they're at a two. It's like, yeah, Whoa. isn't that interesting? <laughs> because yeah. everyone in this room is saying you're a seven or above, but somehow we think our team is at a two. And that's real common. We, we think that they can't handle it, but most of the time they really can. Wow, that's a huge imbalance right there. It's huge, I know. Yeah. What is one piece of advice that you would give business leaders when they begin drafting or implementing a framework to deal with those tough conversations? Mm -hmm. Start modeling it yourself. So if you're not currently in the habit of having tough conversations, addressing conflict head on, giving both positive reinforcing feedback as well as constructive and redirecting feedback, do it yourself first. Um, another thing that I say is always blame the training. So for our business owners, the one thing they're going to hear me say for sure is when you get back home, I want you to tell your team exactly about this class, because if you start doing things differently, they're going to be like, where did this come from? 
what happened to Sarah? She used to like not have these feedback conversations at all. Now she's telling me everything I did wrong. They need to know where that's coming from. So give them a heads up and kind of the why behind it. And then really follow the structure they're going to learn in that class. The biggest thing is, is really sharing your intent, which you might have heard about in my TED talk too. It's like you've got to tell people your intentions because most of the time people assume we have very negative intentions if we don't say them out loud. And if you don't do that in the very beginning, the entire conversation can be knocked off the right track. Good stuff. How, if somebody's really fearful, maybe they're a new manager, but they're really fearful to deal with conflict and have that tough conversation, what tips would you give somebody to help them overcome that? Mm -hmm. So I would say follow the framework that we're going to learn. Uh, two books to read that I love, 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 love around the, this topic is Crucial Conversations mm -hmm. and Fierce Conversations. Those are two fantastic books that will hopefully change your attitude about why it, it's scary, but you still need to do it. Mm -hmm. And the other thing I would say is practice it with a friend before you do it in real life. Find someone you can trust and practice that opening statement you're going to use to begin the conversation. That first 60 seconds or so is the most important part of your portion of the conversation. Mm -hmm. So if you can do that right and you can keep the other person's defenses down, you're going to have a much better success rate. And the best thing you can do is practice what you're going to say and get some feedback from a third party who's completely neutral in the situation and, and literally practice the words coming out of your mouth, physically speaking, because it's harder to do. It's, you, know, you think it sounds good in your head and then you start to say mm -hmm. it and you start going, blah, 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 you get really tongue tied, right? So the more you can practice it out loud and get that feedback, usually the easier going to and the more confident you're going to feel when it's in real life. Well, Courtney, this has been amazing. You are a wealth of knowledge and I can't wait for everyone to get there to hear your sessions because I have a feeling they're going to take at least one thing in 72 hours. And so right away. <laughs> that's, it's going to be amazing. And I can't wait to see their feedback. And I hope they contact us afterwards and say, Courtney said, and I did it. <laughs> it's working. That, you know, I, like that is the biggest deal. Like you as a person who's organizing content for the conference, I know it's important to you, but there is nothing that makes me happier than when someone reaches out to me through email or LinkedIn and says, oh my gosh, I did it and it worked. Thank you so much. I so, have happy employees everywhere. <laughs> maybe not overnight, but it's, it's yeah. like Titanic, right? It's a small, it's every little small move helps in the right direction. Well, what is, I know you're doing three sessions. It, it's a lot. There are three different topics here that you're covering. Mm -hmm. um, what is the one thing you hope attendees will get out of attending the Lone Star Hort Forum after hearing you? So after coming to my sessions specifically, I would say I really want them to know that being a leader is hard, right? If we're keeping it honest, really not even everyone is made to be a leader, but you can learn how to become a better leader. So with that in mind, it's important for you to invest in yourself and get the training that you need, but it's also important for our business owners to understand it's their job and responsibility to develop their people too. So my hope is that they leave with two things, realizing that they need to do more investing in their people if that's not currently a priority. And then, like you said, that one thing that they're going to take home and do differently to be that better leader for their team. Great. Well, Courtney, how can people find you if they want to talk more? If they're if they want to go online, how do they find you? You will find me at 
CourtneyRamseySpeaks.com. And that is Ramsey with an E, not an A. I am unfortunately not related to Chef Gordon Ramsey. <laughs> so CourtneyRamsey with an E, Speaks.com. You can also find me at LinkedIn. So if you were to just type in Courtney Ramsey speaker in the search, I should pop right up. And you also offer some custom tailored uh, workshops as well, correct? To help our companies. Yeah, I speak a lot for conferences, but one of my favorite things to do is for uh, small businesses to hire me and come in and do like a half day or a full day workshop or a virtual workshop, whatever is easier for them. So I definitely do custom things for businesses of really every size. Great, great. Well, I really want to thank everybody for joining us today for the Green Report. Courtney, we appreciate you taking the time to share your experience with us. And we can't wait to dive in deeper into all your sessions and exploring these topics to help our industry and their workforce development issues um, and reaching and tackling those head on. Courtney, it truly is an honor. And we're so glad you're here with us today. Thank you so much for spending your time and your expertise. You're so welcome. Thank you. All right, folks. If you would like more information, go find Courtney online at CourtneyRamseySpeaks.com. If you're interested in finding out more information about TNLA or registering for the Lone Star Hort Forum, visit www.tnlaonline.org. Thank you, and we'll see you this January. In this industry, protecting your business starts with protecting your employees. And that's especially important when they're behind the wheel. Motor vehicle crashes are the number one cause of workplace fatalities in Texas, but there are steps you can take to keep your drivers safe. And step one is contacting Texas Mutual Insurance Company. They created the Texas Green Industry Safety Group specifically for businesses like yours. And they can help you train your drivers to buckle up, slow down, avoid distractions, and stay alert on the road. Plus, as a safety group member, you'll save an average of 12% on your workers' comp premium and have the chance to earn an extra dividend every year. If safety and savings sound good to you, get started today by talking to your agent or visiting texasmutual.com slash texasgreenindustry. Welcome to The Green Report, brought to you by the Texas Nursery and Landscape Association. I'm Paul Winsky, your host today. I am the program specialist uh, for the green industry with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension. The Green Report will bring you current information on the industry, highlight businesses and current research that can help your company be successful in the green industry. Today, I'd like to introduce or welcome uh, John Leifester, who is with Dedicated Landscape Solutions in San Antonio, Texas. John, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Paul, and thank you for having me. Well, I am glad that you were here. Um, so let's let's just jump into uh, you know a few questions, a uh, little bit of dialogue here. John, um, your company is dedicated landscape solutions. We mentioned you're located in San Antonio. Um, what what is the focus of your your company? And you know, just a little bit of background about yourself and and the company that you uh, run. Perfect. Yeah. No. Uh, dedicated landscape solutions started in 2014. Prior to that, I worked for a large family-owned company in San Antonio since 06. Uh, so I've been in the industry. I am a uh, arborist by trade, but with that old company, I learned maintenance. I learned holiday decor, operations, management, sales, and marketing. And in 14, started dedicated landscape solutions. Uh, my wife and I uh, 
works with me here. She does our marketing. Uh, we're a family-owned company that specializes in commercial construction and high-end referral residential. Okay, great. Um, so you mentioned you, you started in 2014. What was sort of what what gave you the impetus or the push to to decide to you know what I'm going to go ahead and and start my own company, start my own business. You know, um, corporate. So we were a family-owned company at the old company, and uh, they uh, we made a decision to sell, and we were like national, like more market reach, more sales opportunities. You know, as a young individual in the green industry at the time, I'm thinking, okay, long-term goals here. Um, I come from a family that was 30 years plus in their industries, so a generation that worked and stayed with companies throughout and so I thought saw a great opportunity um, from north up north in an Illinois area and uh, they don't have the same kind of corporate culture that we had or what, what works here in Texas and I think in Texas we're very much a a your word is your bond relationships are people and people do business with people not companies okay and so um, I kind of had seen the writing on the walls of it's not a good fit. And I said, you know what? I've got to handle my customers and following through, you know, even if it means that you're going to lose money, but keeping your word. Um, and, and that was a, that was the, the writing on the wall transactional thing where we were at fault. We did something. Um, an irrigation team didn't turn on an irrigation. We lost a couple pounds of grass, mm -hmm. a couple hundred dollars but it's the right thing to do. So um, when they wouldn't cover that, I kind of saw that's not where I wanted to be. I didn't want to, um, every client of mine, it was it was my word. And so um, I said, you know what? I think I'm gonna go out on my own. And I, I did some research and I went to a financial advisor for about two months and did some classes because I wanted to make sure that I knew, I, I could sell ice to Eskimos and, and uh, catch a pop to the lady in white gloves, but did I really know how to run a business and what it meant to to look at, you know, EBITDA and cost of goods sold and and all the things that go into it, your inputs. And after that two months of, of working with that financial advisor, he said, I think you're ready. And so I made the jump and and uh, it was scary, but yeah, I did. And, uh, <laughs> so here we are. And um, I thank the good Lord every single day that, you know, I stretched myself, you know, being uncomfortable is OK. Well, that, that that that's a great attitude, and and I think that a lot of times uh, people that start their own businesses, they they realize that um, you, you know it's not a good fit where they're at, and um, a lot of them have that motivation and drive uh, to to want to go ahead and do it on their own, and um, uh, usually they're the ones that are successful because they they they've got that motivation, um, w w which is great to hear. So, so John, how many employees do you have uh, with your company now? So we run about 31 guys. 31 okay. Guys. Um, and it's it's a mix. It's a blend. And I say guys, even my subcontractors that I have that do some work for us, our masons, um, they're our employees. Like we treat them like family. We're a big right. family owned and we're very big on family. So knowing people, I can't tell you how many quinceaneras, births, birthdays, <laughs> And unfortunately, funerals that we've been throughout the years, but um, we've got two, and now I've got a gentleman who's um, 
third generation of working with their family. The grandfather started working with me at the old company, and then the son started working with us, and they were there. And now here we are, and now I've got uh, an 18-year-old that comes to work in the summers with us that has been working with us a couple of years um, in the summers that's third generation in. And I, I look at my wife and I smile. I can't help but smile but think, you know, we got to be doing something right, you know. That's but awesome. Family. They are family to us, and, um, you know, we are very big on on I can't do it alone, you know. If, if there's, there's no way I could be in all the places I need to be in and still give back to what I want to do um, entrepreneurially and, 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 and volunteer wise to, to do that without a good team in place. That's awesome. That's awesome. So it, 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 it's great to hear how you, um, you know, even before you made the jump, you, you took the time of uh, sort of understanding the business side of things because uh, I, I worked <laughs> for a large grower at one time and um, the the sort of the the thought was growing the plants was the easy part. It was having to deal with the um, the people and the issues and and things like that. Um, that that's always the challenge. So it it's really good to hear that um, you, you took the time to, to to sort of learn the business side of things. Do, do you think that was probably your biggest? Um, I guess at the time weakness in making the decision to start your own business i i think it's one thing that i did lose a little bit of sleep about that like in your gut you know like i always tell people we try to manage to our strengths right but right. at the end of the day you're gonna be put in those uncomfortable situations and so the only way to be comfortable with it is to be educated on it and um growing that that knowledge base was important to me we i ran divisions you know i ran i was in charge of the tree care division and i ran the maintenance division and then ran sales on our holiday decor and help with marketing at the old company. So I had experience looking at a, a, a microculture and, and running that business as if it were my own. Um, also, one of the volunteer organizations that I am involved with, uh, San Antonio Stock Show and Rodeo, I'm going to give a plug for them. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> they they have been my February family for, for numerous years, but um, we had a, a, a CEO come in, Cody uh, Davenport, our, our CEO, and he was very much about owning and running your committee like a business, understanding your costs and how they all add up to, at the end of the day, whatever we profit goes to those kids in Texas to develop the youth of Texas. And so that's been ingrained in my mind. And so understanding going and putting one foot forward was I'd be doing myself a disservice if I did not try and grasp that knowledge of all the intricacies that I could see in a business, just not what I've been introduced to. Okay, great. So, uh, John, you've been in the industry a while. W what kind of trends are you seeing now from th this sector of the industry? Um, are you seeing, you know, we, we talk about houses, um, maybe their footprints aren't as large as they used to be, smaller landscape and things like that, but you know, what type of trends are you seeing that you're having to, to work with or, or deal with that you haven't seen maybe in the last, you know, three to five years? Um, on the commercial side, everything is blowing and going. You know, even when COVID hit, we thought that we were going to take a dramatic slowdown. We were very concerned in the industry. I remember having some conference calls with the board and different committees about what what to expect, but we kind of 
construction wise, we kept moving everything. Progress was moving forward, you know, different things. But on the residential side, what we're seeing is a little bit more. We deal with a lot of educated clientele and they're just looking at things a lot harder now. Um, disposable incomes are, are there. This is old money as we call it um, established, but we're still seeing them be more um, questioning about where this money is going to be spent and do I really need that or can I get by with something else? And so we're starting to see we do these large scale designs and there might be some VE that we have to do or value engineering that goes on to say, okay, we don't need um, the water features at the end of the, the, the garden. We can do with one water feature instead of two or um, this rock. I know I want this rock, but I can get this rock at a different, I'd rather go with that rock. So textures and things like that, we're starting to see them become a little bit more, and I don't want to say opinionated, but selective. Okay. And, and how about, so, um, do you do your own designs or are you taking designs from someone else and then uh, executing the plan? Well, we have both, honestly. Okay. So, um, I was self-taught. I worked with, again, we had multiple divisions at the old company and um, got involved and I went through and got my TCLP. I've been one of those people that loves education and mm -hmm. growing that way. And when I got my certified landscape professional, where I pushed the design teams to get it there at the company. And I learned through that process. So 